Church. My name is Emily and I serve with our student ministry team. Just a few announcements for you before we get started this morning. Every December, our Puente de Pueblo ministry invites under-resourced parents from our community to the Christmas store. This gives them an opportunity to purchase gifts for their kids at a reduced cost. The biggest and easiest way that you can serve is by donating new gifts. Around the church, you'll find large donation boxes that look like giant Christmas presents where you can place your new unwrapped gifts with the receipt attached. For more information and to purchase gifts on our wish list, visit wheatonbible.org slash Christmas store. This Advent season, Kids Life invites you to bring the whole family together for a Christmas experience like no other. Gather with other families to participate in a Christmas sing-along, play group games, hear the story of Jesus' birth, and make a gingerbread nativity. On Saturday, December 10th, we'll hold two sessions of Building a Christmas Memory. The first is from 9.30 to 11, and the second is from 1 to 2.30. Space is limited, so make sure you register online at wheatonbible.org Christmas. Join your church family here on Sunday, December 11th at 6 p.m. for a special Christmas carol sing led by our choir, orchestra, and handbell choir. This is a wonderful opportunity to invite a neighbor or a friend who may not yet know the love of Jesus. Check out wheatonbible.org Christmas for more information. Finally, a reminder for the women who'll be attending brunch with a missionary. The new date for this event is Tuesday, November 29th. Wheatonbible.org slash missionarybrunch has more information for you. Thanks for spending a part of your weekend with us. We hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving.
rejoice. Give thanks in all circumstances. And because of what God did for us through Christ and sending his son so that we might be reconciled to him through faith, we can give thanks in any circumstance. As we sing many songs of thanksgiving today, I encourage you to think about all the reasons that you have to give thanks to God in every circumstance that we are in. Psalm 92 says, It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. Let's stand and do just that.
because we are often uh, such a big church and sometimes you might walk in and not see anybody you know. We try to find ways to make our church even smaller. And so today you'll notice there are mics and those are for all of you. And that is, as we think about Thanksgiving coming up, we want to give our opportunity for all of us to share a brief but meaningful uh, praise of thanksgiving. And so we, I'm imagining this is what we want, is a whole line of people down the aisle ready to share their, uh, their thanksgiving. So think about it for a second. What is it that you are most thankful for this Thanksgiving? And we have a few minutes allocated in our service for this. So we would love for many of you to get up and to get behind the mic. So I'm going to have the, the, the musicians. There's three musicians, and then it's your turn, okay? So stand up if you have an idea. It's okay to share. We would love to hear from 25 people, okay? So they're going to go, and then it's going to be your turn. And please, I really want people to stand there and share, okay? So God, thank you so much for all that you're doing this Thanksgiving. Would you encourage each of us um, as we hear from each other's Thanksgivings for this year? Amen. All right, so Susan. Praising God that our newborn grandson survived multiple surgeries this week. that I and all of us are able to play our instruments for the Lord. Yeah, that's good. This is when you're walking to, this, to the mics, everybody. <laughs> this is your moment. Please, thank you. Yes, don't be afraid. I'm thankful for the evidence of God's faithfulness through the various uh, difficult circumstances and seasons of life. I'm grateful for health and for family and God's grace for me. Excellent. Praise God. Ryan. Um, I'm not good at public speaking. Uh, I'm thankful for our choir as me and my wife get ready to have a baby and all this stuff you guys have done for us. I am thankful for the wonderful blessing of talent and the ability to use it for his glory in this church. Amen. Amen. I am thankful that God has never rejected me, never sent me packing, even though I deserved it. I'm thankful for the easing of the pandemic this year and for so many people who didn't get it. And I'm thankful for uh, my husband and I are new to this church this year. I'm thankful we were like nomads wandering in the desert looking for a church for half a year. And we landed here. And I'm thankful for the great welcome. Good morning, everyone. Um, this year is the first year that my wife and I are celebrating Thanksgiving as a married couple. They got married over the summer. so. Just thankful for um, the opportunity to celebrate um, husband and wife. I am thankful for the family, for this church, for good health and ability to still have 
jobs. And for our first grandbaby, who was born premature, but he's now very healthy and beautiful. Praise God. I praise God that he is in control of all things. He's the ruler of the universe, and when things look like they're out of control, it's my, not my job to fix it, but I can trust in him that he has a plan and he's working it out. I'm thankful for uh, the church this week. They were able to help me with a cab fare after I got out of hospital. And I'm a victim of severe domestic violence, so I was very thankful. I'm hoping to get into somewhere like Naomi's house. I still need a lot of help and still need a lot of prayer, but I wanted to thank the church, especially Cynthia and Becky and the pastor I spoke to. Anyway, thank you very much. Really appreciate the help this Thanksgiving. I'm thankful to the Lord. I lost my husband in September. And his strength and love is close to me. <laughs> I'm thankful for family. I'm thankful to the Lord that uh, after a couple years, we're finally in, a, in our new home after a fire. Uh, praise God. I'm thankful to the Lord for helping me sell my home in Glen Ellen and allowing me to move closer to my family in Bourbon A. I'm, thank I'm thankful for um, God letting us move here because we had to move because my dad um, thought that God was asking us to move here. I'm very thankful that after three years, our daughter is healed of a very debilitating illness. I'm praising God for that. How special to hear from all of you, and thank you for all of you for sharing, and some of those were hard things, but how great to hear from all that all that God is doing among us. Very, very good. One of the things that all of us are grateful for is our very most important need is for God's grace. Amen? So today we are going to sing Amazing Grace. Many of us don't know that Amazing Grace actually has 14 verses. And um, yeah, because we don't sing. That's too many, you know, to sing. Today it actually is a uh, story through of salvation, of be, being lost and then found, as you would imagine. But the verses tell a great story. And so today we are singing 10 of them. But I think you will enjoy it. Yes, amen. So um, we are going to read together Lamentations 3, and then we'll take turns singing. And I hope you enjoy the story of Amazing Grace, because that's truly what we need. Let's stand together. Let's read Lamentations 3, 22 to 23. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Let's sing together.
That's our story. You may be seated. to recognize that God has a story, he has a plan, he has been accomplishing his plans, and he will accomplish his plans, all by grace alone. Amen? Uh, I want to welcome you all to Wheaton Bible Church. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Hannibal. I want to call the ushers to the front, and as we continue in an attitude of worship, um, I want to share with you a verse that is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7, in which the, the Apostle Paul calls us to excel in everything. He calls us to excel in faith, in speech, in knowledge, uh, in all earnestness, and in our love for one another, for the Lord, for everyone. And then he says at the end, also excel excel in this act of grace. And when he's talking about the act of grace, he's talking about giving, sacrificial giving. If you are new to the church, uh, this is part of what we do every Sunday uh, as a way to worship the Lord and demonstrate to the Lord, uh, demonstrate to the Lord that we trust him, that our money is not our money, that is his money, and we are giving back a little bit of what he has given us to sustain the church, to use it for the help of others, to extend the kingdom for, for all of those things. So if you are new to the church, please do not feel obligated to participate in this. For the rest of us, though, that are part of this church, I want to remind you that there's three different ways to give. You could always give online by going to witbible.org slash give. You could always put your offering on the plates as we pass the plates every Sunday. Or for those of you that are worshiping with us online, you could always send your checks to the uh, offices of the church. Um, I'm going to ask you now to pass the place before I do a quick prayer. Lord, I'm so thankful that we get to worship you, not just with our words, Lord, but with our money. Recognizing, Lord, that this money is not ours, it's yours. And that the only reason why we do this, Lord, is because you are giving us so much. That in light of everything that we have, giving, Lord, is not a burden. It's a gift. It's pleasure, it's worship. So please use this money for the glory of your name and the extension of your kingdom. In the name of Jesus, we pray. You may pass the plates.
week, uh, Thanksgiving, I want to start by saying that I'm so thankful for this church. You have been truly a generous church this year. Uh, not only we have been doing our regular uh, offering and tithing time, but we have called the church to give in special times uh, for Missions Fest, for example, and the Lord, the church has responded uh, amazingly this year. Also, we had a couple of uh, uh, special uh, legacy gifts from people that used to be in our congregation. Super grateful for that. Um, but as we're getting ready for this and for the end of the year, I wanted to give you just a quick update of where we are as a church. Uh, so let me do a little bit of explanation for those of you that are new to the church. Every year in the month of January, we pray uh, and then we approve the budget for the year. Right? And then what we do for the rest of the year is we move in faith, trusting that the Lord is going to provide what we think the Lord needs to provide. Amen? So what the members of the church do, uh, the official members of the church do, is we come together and uh, in an evening we pray for this, we approve the budget, right? And then throughout the year we are asking the Lord to provide what he already, we, we understand he already told us that we needed for the year. That's how the church works. Now, if you have been part of the church for a while, you know that one third of our budget always comes during the months of November and December, now, you would say, well, that's a crazy endeavor. That's just how big churches work for the most part, right? So this is a, the season of the year in which we remind you that we had already asked the Lord to provide for something, that the church has already approved the budget for this year, and now we are asking the Lord to help us finish our year well. So at least finish our year strong. So for the whole, for the rest of the year, we're going to be calling you to pray to ask the Lord to provide. We are about 6% behind the approved budget. Um, the Lord has always been good. The Lord has always provided. There's no reason why we should feel different this year. But you still got to give. <laughs> and we still got to pray. Because we want to finish our year well. We are trusting that this is, that the Lord is doing something in our midst. And one of the things that the Lord does to, to allow us to continue to do our ministry is providing for those needs. So let us pray. Lord, I'm grateful that we have a generous church. I'm grateful, Lord, that we have a, a bunch of brothers and sisters, a ton of brothers and sisters that understand that giving is an act of adoration and an act of obedience. Lord, I'm grateful that we have a, a group of brothers and sisters that understand that our God is not our money but that you are our God. And I pray, Lord, that as we are trying to finish this year strong, you provide what is needed. We ask, Lord, that by the end of the year, this 6% will com we be completely fulfilled, that you give us what we need, Lord, so we can finish strong. Not so we could brag about finishing strong, but so we could brag about you and your generosity, and your love, and your mercy. Now I ask, Lord, that you, uh, that you may be with us, Lord. As we get ready to hear the preaching of your word, Lord, I pray, Lord, that the Holy Spirit illuminate our minds and prepare our hearts and move our affections so our wills may respond to what you have for us. I pray for my brothers and sisters, Lord, that are going through very painful, difficult things as well, which is heard a few seconds ago. I pray, Lord, that you may be with them, that the Holy Spirit, the one that resurrected Jesus from the dead, may be working in them. 
providing the joy and the peace and the hope that is needed, especially during this season. I pray also for those that this season uh, will remind them of painful things. I pray, Lord, that you may be with them as well. You that are our God of compassion. And I pray for all of this in the name of Jesus. And the church says, I'm going to ask you now, please stand for the reading of God's word. Good morning, church. Today's reading is from Matthew 14, 13 through 21. If you have your journals with you, it's on page 76 of your journal. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves, loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said, and he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning, Familia. I am so glad to be here with you this morning. My name is Brent Sickle, and I'm one of the pastors here at Wheaton Bible Church. I want to welcome those who are worshiping with us today here, as well as those who are worshiping online. It feels right that during the week of Thanksgiving that our passage is about food. Am I right? <laughs> This week, my wife Beth and I sat down with our kids and let them help us create our Thanksgiving Day menu for our first Thanksgiving here in Chicago. Uh, and it was funny to hear them share their favorite foods that they wanted to include from our past Thanksgivings with family and friends, as well as some of the foods that they could rather do without. But as I talk about Thanksgiving, there are probably things in certain dishes that come to mind and maybe you can already even smell the turkey and pumpkin pie. Well, as we talk about food, it only is rightfully so that we look at here in Matthew chapter 14. Our text last week and this week both focus around a meal. But what a contrast we see in the text between these two differing meals. The stark contrast between Herod's gruesome dinner party last week and the compassionate meal that Jesus provides for 5,000 this week. You see, Herod's meal was characterized by great opulence 
and Jesus' meal by meager bread, a basic staple of food. Herod's party was characterized by hatred. Jesus' meal by compassion. The host of Herod's party is a petty tyrant who's only concerned with his own power and his own well-being. Yet the host at Jesus' meal is a compassionate savior whose concern is the well-being of those who have come to see him. Herod's party ends in death. But today we see that Jesus' meal sustains life. The contrast between these two kings and these two meals could not be more deliberate or exhaustive. And I believe that Matthew wants us as his readers to notice this clear juxtaposition as we read this chapter. So as we look here at Matthew chapter 14, we see this meal of compassion. The feeding of the 5,000 is actually one of only two miracles that's recorded in all four of the Gospels. The other being the resurrection itself. And so it speaks to the importance of this event. This miraculous feeding is reminiscent to Elijah's miracle in 2 Kings chapter 4. And this story where Elijah takes 20 barley loaves to feed 100 people. Similarly, when he orders his servant, his servant protests. What should I feed 100 people with? And yet... Elijah reaffirms his promise. They will eat and they will have some left over. This miracle is also reminiscent of the man in the wilderness in Exodus chapter 16. Like Moses, Jesus crosses over the water into the wilderness. Like Moses, he's surrounded by hungry people. In John's gospel, Jesus makes this connection uh, even more explicit by referring to the bread as being the bread of as he bring the bread from heaven in his discourse after feeding the 5,000. And so we see this theme of being very important. But today I want us to focus on three themes that run throughout the story's portrayal in the book of Matthew. So with me, first I want us to see that it's a story of compassion. Second, I want us to see it's a story of challenge. And third, a story of copious provision. Yes, I used alliteration there. I'm a pastor. So you with me? A story of compassion, a story of challenge, a story of copious provision. Let's look first at the story of compassion. Look with me here at verse 13. Jesus begins and says, When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. We know Matthew doesn't spell out the full reason for Jesus' withdrawal or need for solitude, but we can infer from the other gospel accounts what Jesus is dealing with, what Jesus is walking through, what is happening in Jesus' life. And when all these things are around, Jesus' normal rhythm was to withdraw and to pray. This is that what Jesus does now. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 14, withdrew to reflect. Right? Verse 13, we just read, when Jesus heard what had happened, the death of John, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Jesus needs to take time to reflect on the news of John's death. John was his family. John had come to prepare the way for Jesus. He was both a close friend and a trusted colleague. 
And even though Jesus can put John's death into the larger context of what's going on, hearing of his death must have grieved him. Jesus surely needs time alone to reflect. Time to grieve. Time to heal. Time to prepare for what he knows is coming. His own death. Jesus also withdrew to retreat. If we look at the account in Luke chapter 9, it says this, verse 9. But Herod said, I beheaded John. Who then is this I hear such things about? And Herod tried to go see him, Jesus. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then they took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. Jesus knew Herod was seeking him out. And so he takes a short boat ride to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which was controlled by Philip, Herod's brother. Jesus withdrew from Herod not because of fear. Jesus was not fearful at all. But he knew his time had not yet come. Jesus also withdrew to hear the reports of the disciples. Mark 6.30 says the same thing we just heard in Luke. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Just prior to this, we know that Jesus has sent out the 12 disciples. And they were preaching and performing miracles and calling people to repentance. And now they have come back and want to share in their excitement all of what they experienced. And so Jesus wants to gather them to hear what had gone on. Lastly, we see that Jesus withdrew to rest. In Mark chapter 6, verse 31, it says, Because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have time to eat. So he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. This gives us the full picture of what's going on in Jesus' ministry. Both he and the disciples have participated in so much ministry for so long that they needed a time of rest and that's what Jesus was calling them to. So this withdrawal was, would have been normal, right? This would have been needed. We all need times of rest. Maybe we're looking forward to our own vacation days this week to rest. And so Jesus and the disciples crossed the Sea of Galilee. Follow with me here at the second part of verse 13. But hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. You see, Jesus and his disciples get in the boat. They cross the Sea of Galilee. The people in the town see this. The Sea of Galilee sits in the bottom of this bowl. And so it's possible to stand on the shoreline and watch a boat travel across the lake and know where it's going to land. And actually the sea is small enough that they could run around it and they beat Jesus there. They arrive at Jesus' intended destination of solitude before he does. Wow. Jesus went to find rest, and when he arrives, he finds a mess. But that's not what Jesus says. In verse 14, he says this, But when Jesus landed, he saw the crowd, and he had compassion on them. He had compassion on them, not just at all, 
But this deep desire to meet their needs, so much so that he begins healing the sick and teaching. I don't know about you, but I don't know if I would feel this way. How frustrating would it be to need time alone and be denied it? Working so hard for so long with so many other things going on in his life. Grief, ministry, time, energy, effort. And to be denied the chance to take a rest. Jesus would have had good reason to be upset with the crowd for interrupting a solitude. Right? Jesus could have said, hey, I just finished ministering to you. Can I please just have a day off? And yet that's not his response. In fact, sometimes I feel the same way when it comes to when my solitude is interrupted. As a parent, uh, doesn't it always seem that every time you go to take a rest, it just so happens to be the time where your children are most needy? Right? You get home from work and, and, you, and you want to take just a, a quick nap to recharge. Dad, I can't find my hat. Yes, it's on your head. Or how about at bedtime, right? It's bedtime, it's time to go to sleep. Mom, I need two dozen cupcakes for the bake sale tomorrow at school. Or how about my favorite, in the middle of the night, I can't sleep. Can I come sleep with you? As your child crawls in your bed and presses their feet into the middle of your back or lays across your head. We all love our kids, right? But admittedly, in those weary moments, it can be hard to show compassion. In the same way, though Jesus had been pursuing solitude, Jesus felt and showed compassion when he saw the crowd. They were needy like sheep without a shepherd. Many were sick, and so Jesus heals them and teaches them and continues to do that all day long. You see, the story of the 5,000 is a story of compassion that reveals the character of our compassionate king. We're reminded of this in Exodus chapter 34. It says, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Amen? Jesus sees our need and has compassion on us. The second theme of the story we see is it's a story of challenge. We'll be looking here at verse 15. The day is wearing on. The 12 disciples see that neither Jesus nor the crowds seem interested to bringing the day's work to a close. The hour is getting late. The place is remote. And they assume that Jesus is so caught up in ministry that he has failed to notice the fading sunlight around him. The disciples feel the responsibility to bring Jesus back to reality, to prompt him to act sensibly. And so in verse 15, they urge him, send the crowds away. 
Send them away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. This verse gives us great insight into how the disciples viewed the situation. Jesus took care of the crowds all throughout the day and now these people must go off and care for themselves. The disciples are thinking, Jesus has shown them enough compassion for one day. Jesus gets what his disciples are suggesting, but we see in verse 16, right away rejects it. They don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. When Jesus says this, though, he actually is, uh, has a different tone. The original language here uh, states this as a command that's quite forceful. What it probably sounded like to the disciples was this. You, you do it. Why do you come to me? The disciples are challenged to address the problem. And it seems that Jesus gives him no direction. They can't dismiss the people, and so they must face and solve the challenge themselves. So the disciples do what the disciples do, and in verse 17, respond in this way. We have here only five loaves and two fish. The disciples emphasize what they don't have, not who they have. You see, they see the problem, not the provider. The disciples have been watching Jesus heal and perform miracles all day long and yet saw the hunger of the crowd as beyond the scope of the compassionate master. Just as an earlier generation doubted God saying, can God prepare a table in the wilderness? Now Jesus' disciples doubt his ability to feed the hungry crowd. The self-assessment of the situation is right on the mark though for the disciples. The disciples only have five loaves and two fish. Seven items. Barely enough to feed a small family. And even less to feed an entire crowd. But I want us to see though that Jesus allowed the disciples to wrestle with this challenge because he wanted them to see that their plan and supply was hopelessly inadequate. John chapter 6 verse 6 in, in paralleling the story explicitly states what Matthew is implying here. It says this, he, Jesus... Ask this only to test them, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. You see, Jesus knew what he had planned to do all along. He wanted to impress onto the disciples that they could do nothing by themselves. And they needed Jesus to intervene and act. This challenge that Jesus presents is offering a vital spiritual lesson for us as well. You see, there are only three options when we realize our severe limitations and inadequacies of our life. 
When our plan and our supply is not nearly enough, there are only three options for us. The first is we can resort to hopeless thinking. Right? We declare the situation hopeless. We give up. This thinking usually results in us either being inactive or in despair. The second option we have is we can try our own endeavors, right? Where we work frantically in our own power, in our own time to solve this problem in ourselves. And maybe we make ourselves feel good about it when we try to include God at the last minute. This speaks to the cultural wisdom of our day that shouts to us, you've got this, you are enough. And seeks to boost our confidence and performance to promote our own self-sufficiency. We desperately want what it takes to meet the demands of our dreams and our responsibilities in our daily lives. But as Christians, we acknowledge that this thinking displaces God from his rightful place in our hearts. Yet, we are more influenced by the logic of self-sufficiency of our culture than we want to admit. Think with me for a second. One of the largest and growing sections in any library is a section on self-help, right? Similarly, when you go to the Christian living section, sadly what we find today are a lot of books on self-help that have been covered with a Christian veneer. They have been dressed up with Christian language, but in the end of the day, they are merely self-help books. What I want us to understand is our self-sufficiency blinds us to God's provision and presence in our lives. Jeremiah makes this very clear in Jeremiah 17 verse 5. Cursed is the one who trusts in man who draws strength from mere flesh and whose heart turns away from the Lord, that person will be like a bush in the wasteland. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert and a salt land where there is no, where no one lives. But verse 7, but blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. It leaves are always green and has no worries in years of drought and never fails to bear fruit. What a lesson we can learn from Jesus' challenge. We tend to think that we can do at least something or that at worst, all we need is a little help from Jesus. But I want us to remember what Martin Luther said when he was reflecting on our nothingness. He says this, Our nothing really is nothing. And it's not a little something. Our nothing really is nothing and is not a little something. So what should our response be then in our own inadequacy? 
This is what Jesus challenges us with. That we should respond with humble trust. Where we trust the Lord. He had compassion on the crowds and their needs. Why will he not compassionately meet our needs now? You see, the feeding of the 5,000 is a story of challenge because Jesus challenges us to be fully dependent on him for everything. The third theme of our story today is that the story of copious provision. Look with me here at verses 18 and 19. It says this. Jesus says, bring them here to me. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. So we see the disciples offer what they have. The disciples have, in, in their hands, they have five loaves and two fish, which isn't much. But there are other hands here that we see in the story. Jesus' hands. If Jesus can touch a leper and make him whole, perhaps he can make something of this meager food that is left. This is also a bold move on Jesus' behalf as he has the crowd sit down. It raises their expectation of what Jesus will do. The entire crowd's focus, its attention on Jesus to see what he will do next. He's been performing miracles all day. What is Jesus going to do now? In verse 19 we see, he takes the five loaves and the two fish. He looks up to heaven and gives thanks. And he breaks the loaves. Then he gives them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. And we see the food multiplied. Jesus acts once again to meet the needs of the crowd. The disciples distribute the bread and in verse 20 it says, They all ate and were satisfied. They all ate and were fully satisfied. So much so, so the disciples pick up 12 baskets full of broken pieces that were left over. I love in my study as I, as I was reading this and I was looking at what uh, Jesus would meant here. The verb for satisfied here is this Greek word hurtadzo which means to fill completely. It's the same word that Jesus used earlier to promise that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. Jesus gives us full satisfaction. And we see here in the story, the crowds not only ate, they ate their fill and they had more left over than when they began. It's amazing. But you see, our inadequacy is meant to direct us to the sufficiency and abundance of Jesus Christ. The sufficiency and abundance of our compassionate Savior. This is what's meant by John chapter 15 verse 5. If you remain in me and I in you, 
you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Those are Jesus' words. That we can bear fruit, indeed much fruit, when we draw on the resources of our Savior. So this, what does this point us to? This brings us to the point to ask of ourselves, what do we think? Have you come to Jesus yet to meet your needs? Have you found Jesus to be sufficient for your spiritual need each day? Do you come to him now on a regular basis expecting him to satisfy all you need for life? If you haven't do, I'm sure you've found that not only are you satisfied, but there's an abundance left over. That is how great our Savior is. The story of the feeding 5,000 is a story of compassion, a story of challenge, a story of copious provision in which God in his providence meets a seemingly impossible need with full sufficiency and abundance through Jesus. But this story is not meant to turn our attention to the miracle of leftover bread. Right? The story is not meant to turn our attention to the leftovers of our Thanksgiving meal. For the gospel turns our attention not to the bread, but to Jesus as the bread of life. Jesus, who in his providence long ago is our abundant provision for life today. Paul says in Romans 5 verse 8, but God demonstrates his love for us that while we are sinners, Christ died for us. God took compassion on us and in his love sent Jesus to take our place and bear our punishment for our sins. God also reminds us of our inability to save ourselves from our sin. We're dead in our sins, but we have provision through Christ. Just as Paul says to the Colossians in chapter 2, that when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgives us of all of our sins. And God's provision through Jesus is not just sufficient, it is abundant for all that we do because Jesus says in John 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. What I want us to see from our story today is Jesus is our full, sufficient, and abundant provision for salvation. And you can experience that provision today. You can experience that provision by placing your faith and trust in the saving work of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus.
If that's something new to you today and you have questions about what that might fully look like, I want you to feel free to speak with one of our pastors or staff after the service. We would love to walk with you through what this fullness of life and provision looks like through Jesus. And for the rest of us, I want us to think that this Thanksgiving week, as we gather around the table with family or with friends, that we would remember Jesus, the compassionate king. Both our provider of our food on the table, but even more so, the provider of the salvation for our souls. And for that, we give thanks. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today. That in your word, even though we have maybe read this story multiple times and, and maybe we, we've been amazed at what you've done, maybe reminded of how it points to you. Lord, that you are compassionate and you look on us with compassion. You see our need. You see our sinfulness. Lord, you challenge us with our own inadequacy to save ourselves and offer us your salvation. Lord, all that we can experience the abundance of life, that we may have life and have it to the full. We ask these things in your holy name. Amen. Let's stand and respond to God's word again with another Thanksgiving song. Let all things now living.
Before we close, I just want to remind you that as we enter the Advent season starting this next week, we'll be pausing our Matthew series until the beginning of the year. But during the season, we want you to be thinking about who you can be praying for and, and intentionally inviting to our Christmas services over the coming weeks. But let's stand and hear what God's promise is for us out of Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that your ways may be known on the earth, your salvation among the nations. Wheaton Bible Church, you are sent.